podcast. The book of Romans has been called the king of the New Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. Now, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit, who is in our hearts and among us here as we have gathered together in Christ's name, would quiet our hearts and still our minds so that we have room to receive your truth that sets us free. Father God, uh, these are life-changing truths that are before us this morning. We ask that you would help us to understand them fully, to grasp them, and to put them into practice so that we might be blessed and be a blessing to others. Most importantly, a blessing to you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Peace treaties. Peace treaties are happy occasions, are they not? Especially in a world that's scarred by wars and, you know, former enemies reconciling at the table, having been at odds with hostility, being at war, estranged from one another, all kinds of chaos resulting, but a great cause for rejoicing when the hostile parties come together, they sit down, and a peace is brokered. I have three pictures of three very happy events that were joyous occasions because a peace accord was accomplished. The first one happened in uh, the end of the 70s there with uh, Pastor Jimmy Carter there re, uh, kind of in the middle of it all. Uh, you see uh, the Egyptian president. What was so funny? <laughs> I miss half of my best jokes. <laughs> Egyptian president Anwar Sadat and then prime minister at the time Menachem Begin and uh, a peace was brokered there. They were the first Arab nation, the Egyptians, to recognize Israel as having a right to exist, which is a good thing. And it ended a 30-year, very uh, ferocious war between the two of them. Next picture happened in Europe, Northern Ireland, to be exact, back in 98. That is Irish Prime Minister uh, Bertie Ahern of course, and British Prime Minister uh, Tony Blair, of course, is very recognizable. They ended decades of terrible strife there. And in the middle there, Senator George uh, Mitchell uh, brokering the peace there, as it were. And then I, I chose this last one just because of the picture of joy on these two former enemies. Uh, the, in Guatemala there, back in 96, you have the leftist rebels coming to terms with the Guatemalan uh, government that ended 36 years of a nasty civil war. And, and to the look at their faces... The joy that comes as a result of two parties that were at odds and it just seemed impossible for any uh, good thing to come of their relationship and then suddenly uh, they are reconciled and uh, friends with one another. There's a lot of joy and peace. Now, thank you for that picture. If there's much joy when warring factions of the humankind Come to the table, sign a peace treaty, they leave as friends. How much more when the peace brokered is between the God of the universe 
and the rebellious faction called the human race. Well, I got a picture of that peace treaty too. And it happened 2,000 years ago and it looked something like this. The arms are stretched open wide saying from God, because he is God in human form as Colossians 2.9 tells us, come to me, the war's over, it's finished, and have rest. Be reconciled to God. Not because of your good deeds, but because we're estranged and there's nothing you can do about it, but I can fix the problem for you. And so the great thing that Romans has been telling us about the good news of God is, is that this is a peace that was brokered unconditionally on his part. He was in, there was hostility toward God, from God to us because he is holy and we are sinners, right? But we also had the same kind of attitude toward him in that we were sinners and he was holy and we were hostile to God. But God did what we could never do. And he made peace and God is waving the white flag now saying, we are reconciled. So whosoever of you wishes to reconcile with me, the war is over between us. All I'm asking for is simple trust. Period. And that my friends, is the essence, the nugget of what it means when we say gospel, good news. Everything, reconciliation with God and all the trimmings, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, reigning and ruling with Christ forever, all to us by simple grace alone, faith alone, and by Christ alone. This is the gospel. So now, here in chapter 5, it is time to, as one writer called it, examine the blissful consequences of having been justified, acquitted, or uh, forgiven simply by faith. He's built uh, the, the, the beginning chapters upon this doctrine called justification by faith. And now he wants to talk about the consequences of having a peace treaty that God has implemented uh, toward each and every one of us. So he goes on to say here now in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been acquitted, pardoned, declared not guilty, through good deeds? No, through faith just coming to him and saying, I surrender. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the future, the glory of God. Not only so, but here and now, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So since we have now been pardoned by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Christ? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And that, that is the passage uh, before us for this morning's 
consideration. And there in the nut, in, a, in a nutshell is the essence of the gospel, the good news of God. And it's all because of Jesus. Three things are happening in this text that we, first of all, we have peace with God. Verses one through five, if you're taking notes, that's the first uh, point. And then the second, we have peace with God because we have the love of God. That's what's underpinning everything. And that's our second point, verses six through eight. And then from the peace and the love of God comes the sweet assurance from God that we are saved. And once we are saved, we are saved eternally. And there's nothing anybody or anything can do about that. And so he explores that with us or rather reveals it for all of us. Let's dive in quickly and get started with this peace with God that is the now the blissful consequence of being justified by faith. And so let's take a look at that and isolate those passages, uh, those verses, I should say, one through five. So he's saying, listen, there's some really good consequences. If the qualification for getting right with God is simply that you agree that you're messed up and need a savior and you come to him in faith, and that's what qualifies you, then the consequences, the happy consequences of that is that you have free access to God unconditionally, not dependent on your behavior. Your right standing comes from simple faith. And so he's going to talk about this joy of having a peace treaty with God. That, and, and this is what it's all about here. Now, a lot of people didn't realize that they were they didn't have the peace of God, right? And so that's what the job of Romans 1, 2, 3, and 4 was, to convince people, hey, look, things are not good between you and God, uh, that we have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. And no, there's not one good person in the world that we have uh, fallen short, as I've been saying, and that we, we have a hostile relationship with God and we need a savior because the wages of our sin is death. And so Romans 1 through um, 5 had to tell us there's a need. We've fallen short, but God has fixed that and he bridged the gap and paid the price for us. So we're talking about peace with God. Now, uh, note well, in your verse there, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God. It's not a subjective feeling like the peace of God, which Roman, which uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 talks about, the peace that we have in our hearts, that feeling, that over, overall sense of wellness. He's not talking about that. But if you ever wish to experience the peace of God, you have to first have experienced peace with God. And so that's what he's talking about. The only thing justified there, it starts out, that word is a legal term, and it means to be pardoned or declared not guilty, acquitted or exonerated, to render a favorable verdict. And he says, what, <laughs> and here's how a, not, how a guilty person becomes not guilty in the sight of God, by faith by coming to him and begging for mercy. And, and, and here's the faith. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 6 says, Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God because the one who comes to God first has to believe that he's real and exists and that he's the reward for those who are looking to him. So that's what faith is, a faith that qualifies you to be reconciled to God all it requires you is to believe that he's there. You come to him broken and in need for forgiveness. And it's through the simple fact that you believe he's there and good for the promises he's been making that sets you right with God. That's what faith is, simply believing enough to surrender your life to. That word pistis in Greek is the word for faith, and it doesn't mean an intellectual assent. I know there's a God. It means a personal commitment to trust, almost to rely onto, to fall into, because you believe. And so 
uh, we, we get right with God through this faith. And he says, therefore, we have this beautiful peace with God. Now, this is a blissful consequence, you know. He's saying, formerly, we were tortured by anxiety, or we had a sense of our true guilt as sinners, and now we have peace because of what Christ has done. He's paid for our sins, so we have no worries in that regard. And though we did. And, you know, John chapter 3, verse 36 says, if you believe in Jesus, you have life. He who does not believe in Christ shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on them. Now, say whatever you will, but the soul and the conscience knows there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. And it is never quite silenced with the peace of God until the soul realizes that, that it has the sins have been paid for. Uh, one person wrote in Psychology Today, there is a long, well-known, established link between unresolved guilt with depression, anxiety, and mental illness. So the way for the soul to sense wellness is to sense forgiveness and the only true forgiveness, the real peace. So the word peace here is irene in your text, and it's where we get the girl's name, Irene. And uh, here's what the Bible says. Uh, one commentator put it this way. The Bible warns mankind to avoid the counterfeit peace that sinful men manufacture apart from Christ, which the sinful, deceptive heart embraces all too easily. So, you know, there's a lot of people who say, like I was talking to a guy in Forestville at a cafe, and I was talking about the peace of God, and he goes, man, I've got so much peace, I can hardly stand it, you know? <laughs> and, and I was like, dude, I, I think we're talking about two different kinds of peace. And, and, and so Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is wicked and deceptive. And, and, you know, you may think and feel that, hey, everything's okay. But from God's point of view, we are lacking that peace until we are reconciled uh, with him. In fact, you know, and, and this peace is the real deal, right? Uh, uh, the Bible says in the Old Testament, they speak of peace, peace. They proclaim this peace when there's no peace, right? No, I was flying to Japan and uh, when we were missionaries back in the day, and uh, I was seated next to a Japanese uh, big-time Tokyo uh, psychologist. And when I was sharing the gospel with him, broken English and a little bit of Japanese, not much, uh, but we were talking about enjoying the peace of God. That subject came up. And as we were talking, I went to take a sip of coffee, and suddenly, as Japanese people sometimes do, they're a little just, you know, and, and, and he says, I want that peace. You know, I said, what? <laughs> just say, he's, he scared me. He scared me because he's just listening. And then this is how he would say it in Japanese. He would blurt it out, right? And, but I was not ready for that. <laughs> And, uh, but here he is, a psychologist who people come looking for peace, and he's all undone because he realizes, now, that's the peace that I need. Tell me how to get it, right? And so this is what he's talking about, people. He's saying, do you realize that everything's good in the world when you're right with God? When God's right with you, you're right with God, nothing's in between, and he promises I'm working everything out. You, you're mine now, I'm taking care of you, I'm causing all things to work together for your good. Simply on the basis, not your good works, but what Christ did for you. It's not dependent on your good behavior. That is why you could just take a, a sigh of relief and enjoy his love and walk with him and serve him in peace because he's at peace with you and you're at peace with him. Do all the good deeds you want. Do a lifetime of them. Meditate morning, noon, and night. Move to the top of some mountain and, and do your thing. But, you know, until your soul, listen, drinks the cup 
that represents the blood of Christ shed for those sins. That's why Jesus says, take the cup and drink it. And he calls us to look at that cup as the blood shed on the cross. He says, get that inside and make sure it touches your soul. Because that's the only payment your conscience will receive to acquit you of your constant falling short. Nothing but the blood of Christ that was shed on your behalf for those very sins that are uh, so, makes life so uh, difficult for all of us. So this is the blissful consequence, having peace with God. And I gotta get moving here. He says we, we gain access. Listen, you get access for what? For your good behavior because you know, you're doing everything right. You've turned over a new leaf. No, you've gained access to the throne of God because you trust and believe he's there. That's not hard to do. And what do you get from it? He says, here's the blissful consequence. You get access to God himself. So let's talk about this because this will blow you away. He's saying really access there in your verse means he's taken away the hindrances, the barriers to God and God's throne, the presence of God, relationship with God. So in other words, uh, think of it this way, movie stars or uh, CEOs of very big companies or a monarch comes to Santa Rosa, right? You're getting nowhere near them. You really aren't, you know, uh, because there are barriers. The word implies the barriers to keep an insignificant person from a significant person in the world's point of view are removed. And now you, because you're a whosoever, you're going to trust him. All right, so yes, there it is, the implication, no barriers. You just walk, well, here it is, and I think I have it for you, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The angels are standing guard, the cherubim, the seraphim, we don't even know what that means but they're majestic beings of light. And there's a throne of God described in Revelation. And you and me get to walk through the door, shoulders back, not cocky, but confident. That's my dad on that throne. Why? Because I'm a really good guy? No, because I simply trusted. I trusted and that put me right with him. That's an amazing thing. Let me give you an example of this. Um, I was at UCSF, as most of you know, 16 years ago. I had a bone marrow transplant. I had to practically live there. For three months, I was in the hospital. And one of my roommates and I got talking one day. And we're walking around uh, carrying our IV poles with our meds and all of that. And we're just chatting away. And he goes, dude. He goes, oh, I so lucked out. He goes, uh, my, uh, I got the number one, the head of the lymphoma department at UCSF. He's kind of famous. And I said, yeah, I heard that. I heard he's kind of famous. And uh, he says, well, my dad is a neurosurgeon and my mother is a professor at Stanford. And so they pulled some strings and he's my personal doctor. And I said, yeah, Lawrence Kaplan, right? And he goes, yeah. And I said, he's my personal doctor, too. <laughs> and so he says, how did, how did you get Lawrence Kaplan to be your personal doctor? And I said, I've got a friend in high places. <laughs> I have access. I have access to the throne of the person who spoke and the universe came into existence. Sorry, I'm getting excited. <laughs> we got access. You got access. You got a problem? You don't have a problem. You know what you've got? You've got access. You've got favor. You've got peace with God Almighty. You don't have a problem. 
This is what Paul thought anyway. So did you ever wonder what does it mean when he says we've got peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access uh, and, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, that means now that I'm at peace with God, I don't dread judgment day. I don't judge, I don't, I, I don't fear his appearing in the sky, which he has promised to do. I don't fear meeting him, which he says, I have an appointment that I will keep and that you will keep, for it is appointed unto men once to die and face judgment. So he says, now that I'm at peace with God and he's at peace with me and I call him Papa God, he says, we take joy and delight in the future glory of God, the appearing of our great God and Savior. I have nothing to fear about that. The wrath of God is not abiding on me anymore because I accepted the peace he offered. And by the way, theologically, it is not have you made peace with God. It is have you accepted the peace God has made with you. And since we have, he says, oh, we're looking forward to streets of gold and walking up and uh, embracing our God and Savior and seeing the whole world fall at his feet. We're looking forward to the glory of God because we're at peace with him and we're going to be with him on that great day. That's what that verse means. And so he's going to say, and by the way, it's not just uh, rejoicing in the pie and sky, the glory of God to come, that one far off divine event toward which all creation moves, to quote Yeats. No, there's joy here and now, even in our suffering. And why is that? Because this God is working all of our suffering for our good. And he's going to mention three good things that come from our suffering, which through our pain and grieving and mourning, our crosses and our losses, that we can still at some depth of our being have a joy that, that says God's in charge. He's working everything for good. This is temporary. And he will never leave or forsake us. But the point he's making here is the joy that we have in the here and here now is um, because suffering has, is producing three beautiful things. So the first thing he says, hey, we know that suffering, and listen, suffering, the word, it means to have the life squeezed out of you. It's real suffering. It's not like getting unfriended on Facebook. <laughs> It's not like your whole day's ruined because someone took your parking space. It's not anything like that. It's like getting tossed into prison for your faith. Those kinds of things and losing people and that kind of thing. He says that there's some level of joy because handle it well, not in being angry or disillusioned or start doubting and isolating and becoming bitter because that doesn't produce anything but... Uh, <laughs> sideline you, right? But if you handle your sufferings biblically with humility and cooperate with what God is trying to do, then he says your suffering will produce endurance. Word number one. The endurance, perseverance, right? That's what the word means. And, and John Stott, a great theologian, he said, now, we can't learn endurance without suffering because without suffering, there's nothing to endure, right? So this endurance is God's way of transforming us and strengthening us in our faith. We constantly are saying no, no, no to sin. Yes, yes, yes to God. And in the suffering and believing God through really hard stuff, he says that in turn produces character. Now, everybody wants to be a man or a woman of God with integrity. That's the next word. Character there in your text means a kind of wholeness, a kind of integrity, sterling quality character within. And the only way you get that is to be exercised through suffering, enduring that. Yes, yes, yes. No, 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 submit, submit, submit to God. Obey, obey, obey. Deny my flesh, deny the devil, deny the world. When you do enough of that, 
That's what produces the character. That's where you get it from. Now, one sermon illustration that I read about was a Russian czar who's looking for loyal and faithful cabinet uh, members back in the day. And he would secretly hire people to test that man's integrity and loyalty in different areas. But one example that was given was uh, he arranged a beautiful woman to constantly flirt with this man in question. And uh, the man in question says in this illustration, I am a happily married man. Stay away from me. And she was instructed by the czar to say, congratulations, you've been appointed to the cabinet of the czar. Good job. My point would be, and what the Bible's point would be, is it wasn't the first time he's ever said no to being tested or tempted When the day of evil comes upon you and you stand, it's because you have years of saying no, no, no. And yes, yes, yes. One pastor wrote that I read. He goes, I say no to myself all day long so that you will say yes to me. And that's precisely how it's linked to hope. How does character lead to hope? Well, it's because the very reason you're saying no to yourself and yes to God is because the hope that's in you that it's for a purpose of seeing Christ and having it go well on the day he examines us uh, on that great day for reward in his presence. You see, so every time you tell yourself no, every time you, you don't gossip when you want to, Every time that, just being honest, (laughs) every single hard thing a Christian does is because there we go. The link to the soul is reminded I am the, and the only reason I do some things is because I know on that great day, the hope. That one far off divine event toward which all creation moves is coming and it will not delay And I'm going to be standing there. And in that day, I'll be like, oh, I'm glad I endured. I'm glad that God built character in me because it brought me to this now realized hope. That's how the three things are connected. And in the day you see Christ's face, man, you will be glad that you endured and that you had character, which made you always focus on The future, what's ahead? This is the problem with people who get into all kinds of mischief and destructive sinning. They do not fast forward the tape. If you would just stop and speed it up, speed it up, my friend. Then whoever finds out about what you did and then the loss incurred, and then the pain and suffering and humiliation of that, and then the testimony to Christ and all of that, but nobody speeds up the tape because they're not looking. But see, a Christian's right response to enduring well, to develop character, will link you to the hope which has your eyes on the coming appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, or you're going to him. Either way, you're going to meet him. He's going to call for you. Or you're going to him, right? Something like that. I'm not good at math. So because we've been put right with God by faith, we endure all things with joy. We're developing character. We're preparing for that great day in hope. Let's go to 6 and 8. So now we've got peace with God. And he goes, I just want to talk about the love of God, which is the underpinning for everything uh, in Christianity, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would someone die for a good person, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the peace with God uh, brings a joy even in our struggles. Now the love of God inspires us. So where were we just talking about? We were talking about suffering 
having the life squeezed out of you. That's what that word means, as I told you, right? And now how is that all possible to have a flicker of joy? The love of God. The love of God uh, makes Christian living not a burden to obey commands, but a joy when you realize the kind of love God has for you and has been shown to you. That inspires you to be able to rise up and endure, to be a man or a woman of God, to have God develop integrity in you, and to be constantly focused on that great day with an eternal perspective. Let me elaborate here. So he says, speaking of God's love being poured into our hearts and suffering for him in hope with joy, He says, nothing is too hard, too much to ask, considering what Christ has done on our behalf. So he's going to really, uh, the thrust of this passage, this beautiful passage is this. The love of God is magnified by considering the character of the people for whom Christ died. So he says, listen. I'm going to describe how mankind was, how you were, when Christ said, I'm going to do the unthinkable. I'm going to die in that person's place. Here's the fourfold ugly description of how we were when he was at his best, when he showed us the kindest thing in the world. This is who we were, all right? He says, number one, and and it's kind of, uh, you know, it's ugly. Number one, he says, we were powerless, Christ came to our rescue when we were, the word means morally bankrupt. It means powerless to to be the kind of person we need to be. That's what he's talking about there. And then he says, we were without uh, goodness. We were ungodly is the word. And that means just insolent, rude, arrogant, wicked, morally corrupt. He says, that's the condition of our souls when God laid down his life for us. And then he says that we are, he calls us sinners. And that means prone to wander, always missing the mark, always wanting to go the wrong way. Always, God draws a line in the sand and we jump over it. That's what a sinner does. And he says, that's what you were doing when Christ said, I love them so much. I'm going to exchange my life and go through the agony of the cross for this kind of person. The fourth one's not mentioned until verse 10. The fourth one is called us enemies. Enemies of God. This is when he laid down his life. So here's what he's saying. Here's a concession. Okay, granted. Maybe someone would consider dying for a good person or a good cause. You know, we can understand that. But get a load of this because this is not what's going on here He's saying, if God rescues us at our worst, at a great cost to the Father and Son, what does that imply regarding our worth and his love for us? This is where I get self-esteem. When I understand the great love that he has for me, demonstrated in who I was at the time of the rescue, wow, That's an amazing thing. He wants us to think about that. He says, would you willingly, this is the implication here. He's saying, would would anybody out there, would you willingly give your precious little son, some of you have had children, just picture the little baby, all right? How much you love that son and willingly let him be beaten, stripped, mocked, tortured, executed on a Roman cross. To save someone who can't stand you, morally depraved, and wanted nothing to do with you at all, it would be hard enough to give my son away for the best person in the world, let alone a thug or a wretch or somebody who's caused me a lot of pain. Wow. Well, I hear Paul saying, me either. This is the thing, Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord, Father God, to crush him. What does that say about his love and the worth and the value 
of all of us. This is what these verses trying to stir up in us. Because once you're aware of the depth and the height and the width and the breadth of God's love for you that surpasses knowledge, uh, it will raise you up to do great things. One writer said, to be loved this greatly by someone this great calls us up to do truly great things. It's the officer who takes a bullet to protect the bad guy. It's a lifeguard who drowns, saving someone who hated him. It's the wealthy man who leaves an inheritance to a child who cut him off for no good reason, just in pride and arrogance and insolence. It's all of that. That is why that we can have joy and say, what do you have for me? I'm going to endure it for you. Build your character in me. I have the hope of the glory of God. Come what may, I rejoice in serving you. It's an honor and privilege because of your love shown me considering who you are and what kind of person I was. Then I will serve you through my suffering with great joy. Now, I'm going to tell you about a story you'll be hearing on the news today. All the news talk shows will be talking about what's going on in Turkey. In Turkey, they have taken captive uh, uh, an evangelical pastor, accused him of being having ties with Islamic terrorism, and big headlines for two years, they have had him suffering. He's lost lots of weight. He's really suffering. As a pastor there, he's lived in Turkey for 25 years. They falsely accused him, falsely arrested him, and he's been rotting in this terrible jail in Turkey for two years. President Trump has called for sanctions against Turkey for one reason, and he tweeted it out, as he loves to tweet. <laughs> and he said, things are not good with us in Turkey right now because they have an American pastor who's been falsely arrested. And until they let him go, we are increasing our tariffs and sanctions against them. Period. The one reason... Yeah, here's all that. Say what you will and think what you will about President Trump. But that was a good thing he did. One reason, and it's caused Turkey's currency to go into a death spiral. So the president of Turkey is really hotly uh, responding. And it's all over the news today. You're going to hear about it today. But here's what our pastor friend is saying. Let it be clear, I am in prison here, not for anything I have done wrong, but because of who I am. A Christian pastor, I desperately miss my wife and children, yet I believe this to be true. It is an honor and a privilege and a joy to suffer for Jesus Christ as many have before me, period. And he's going to make my point for me, isn't he? Right? Because on that great day when he sees his Lord and Savior, he's going to say, it was pure joy to go through that because I was sustained by your great love for me and what you did for me. That's it. We don't have problems. We have access. We don't have challenges. What do we have? We have a great God and a Savior who's going to walk us through and he's going to take all the things you hate about your life right now he says, yeah, they're unpleasant, but they're not, not helpful. They're helpful. I've weighed them. I know you. I can use this. Look to me and have joy in your heart. It's temporary. It's useful. And I'm with you. And so this kind of love just makes me say, God, bring it on. Bring it on. And he has. Anybody who knows me knows our family, knows the ups and downs of the last 16 years.
bringing on. I will say on that great day, it was a pure joy to cry every single tear in your name because of your great love for me. And feel free to imitate me on that one. Let's move on. Finishing up, since we have now been, Paul's, Paul's going to say, look, I know when you're suffering, you guys get crazy, and I know you guys have all kinds of thoughts, and, and you fall short, and so you're constantly um, forgetting how much God loves you and how secure you are. So this is for you to just kind of remind yourself, you know, things are good. So he's going to reason with you. Since we've now been justified, pardoned by his blood and nothing to do with you, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more now we're reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only this is true, but we really take delight in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's finish up with these thoughts. So here's what he's saying. Let's rest in the assurance of God. We are enjoying peace with God, right? We're spurred on by the love of God. And now just rest in the assurance that comes from God. Here's his first thought there in verse uh, nine. He's going to say this. If the one who's judging you that has all the information and has the power to sentence you, if the judge is your payment that he paid for you, he was your stand-in. If the very judge who's accusing you is the very one who can look at his own hands and see the payment that he paid for you that you willingly accepted, then you're going to be okay. Because the judge is the payment. The judge is the ransom. Well, what are you worried about? <laughs> well, you lived up to it. He said, whosoever believed, did you believe? Did the Holy Spirit come in and give you life? He says, then you're good. But the problem is, is we have those thoughts and we fall short and out of our mouth comes bad words. And we're doing things to be seen of other people. And we're, we're, we got some hypocrisy going on. And then we start condemning ourselves. He's saying, look, number two there. He's saying, if God loved you when you were his enemy, now that you're reconciled to him and you're his kid, and you're at least trying, how much more does he love you? It's kind of like if God treats his enemies like this, well, how does he treat his friends, right? And guess what? He says, you are my friend. How many times do we have to go through this? Because we are stubborn. We are constantly performance-oriented people. When I do good, God's happy with me. When I'm obeying the commandments and having my quiet time and being other-centered, and then everything's good and I'm feeling good. But he says, you know, you could be falling short and nothing has changed because you're justified by his blood. If your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. That's what he's saying here. Just free us up from all of this nonsense. And I like the last verse a lot because it doesn't make sense until you think about it. He's going, not only is this so, verse 11, it really, that means, well, this is what I'm trying to say. This is the heart of what I'm getting at. Isn't it nice, and this is what the verse means, isn't it nice to have a peace treaty with God, have some fire insurance? Yeah, that's nice, to escape the wrath of God, and one day you're going to heaven, and, and God's working all things for good, and we're rejoicing, Right? Got it, check, 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 check. But he says here, this is the big deal. The big deal, our joy, our boast is in a person, God. Without Christ, you get me to heaven, 
And it's like, hey, check out, glad you're here. Check out the streets of gold. Oh, yeah, they're nice and shiny and crystal sea. Look at those. Those things are called cherubim. Like, whoa, that's awesome. You know, and there's a throne with a rainbow around the throne, emerald rainbow around the throne and all of this stuff. Really nice. There's your mom and dad. Mine were believers. There's your mom and dad. Nice, 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 nice. Where's the Lord? I want to see the Lord. The one who, I've got a picture of it, who's made a peace treaty. I want the peace treaty. I want the one who, who made all of this possible. I don't care what the streets are made of. If he's there, amen? And look at the payment. The payment's there. He says he has those wounds in heaven they're there to remind us, you're safe. You're safe. Because we'll get to heaven and we'll go, I'm going to screw this up. I don't know how. But I know in 10,000 years from now, I'm going to say something or do something in 10 million years. And he goes, oh, no, you won't. Oh, no, you won't. Oh, no, you won't. Because I took care of that. You're eternally secure. And the arms are open wide. And that's what verse 11 means. Verse 11 means, yeah, we talked about a lot of great stuff. But the big ticket item is the embrace with the face that created you and knit you together in your mother's womb and breathed into your nostrils life. And you became that one. You will meet him responsible, the one who is responsible for your life and for your redemption. When you were at your worst, he said, you're worth it to me. You want to know how much I love you? Look at the cross. Look at what I went through. Because you're worth it to me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this kind of amazing love. We, we, we believe it and we want to believe it. But it, it's like our soul has holes in the pockets and it just goes out so quickly. Uh, we pray that you would mend those holes in the pockets of our souls this morning and cause this truth to stay in our hearts that we are loved and nothing can separate us from that love. And it's in Christ Jesus through the blood of Christ, not through our good behavior. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.